This morning on Facebook, as I was checking my messages, I bumped into this from Victor Tiffany. What to do about radicalization? And then a link to a Crystal and Sagar debate. Should Trump be impeached, removed from office? Well, I have some opinions about this, so I thought I'd launch into them instead of reading you something. What should we do when leaders stir the people up to revolt? In this debate on the Hill Rising between Crystal and Sagar, Crystal feels that Trump should be punished for inciting a riot. As an alternative to impeachment, she mentions that it might be possible to prevent Trump from running for president in the future via the 14th Amendment. The other remedy that, of course, has been talked about since the early days of the Trump presidency is the 25th Amendment. This would require Mike Pence and a majority of the cabinet to vote for his removal. 25th Amendment, you know, the idea is that this was put in place for if the president was incapacitated. The reporting's been mixed on whether or not Pence has been open to this idea. Uh, Pelosi and Schumer tried to get him on the line to talk about it, and he kept them on hold 20 minutes and never picked up the phone. Um, There is reporting from CNN that maybe he's still open to it. Mm -hmm. So that's still live, that's still on the table, but I think like impeachment, it has some practical limitations as well. And again, I don't think was really the remedy that was intended for when a president has failed lost the confidence of both political parties and a lot of the public. Um, He could potentially just fire the cabinet you know, there, there are some constitutional questions there about exactly how that would work. And again, I think it's fairly unlikely to ultimately be successful. The last potential remedy, and this one I wasn't aware of, John Nichols wrote this out at The Nation, and apparently, according to Jake Sherman's reporting this morning, this idea is starting to gain steam. So in the Constitution Amendment 14, Section 3, there is a section that says, no person shall hold any office who shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. They specifically name check like every office up to and including the presidency. And Congress, it says in this amendment, has the right to create laws to make sure that this is the case. So this wouldn't require a two-thirds majority of the Senate. So you have fewer Republican senators you would have to get on board. You don't have to go through a lengthy trial in the Senate the way that impeachment does. But it would ultimately, and it would obviously be, you know, a dramatic rebuke of Trump, which I, th- I think is actually really important. And um, it has more chance of passage, so it would be a shorter time frame, more chance of passage, and you would end up with a very similar result, ultimately, to what you would get for impeachment. In this same clip, she also correctly describes Trump as a member of the elites. Despite his populist rhetoric, he has been a reliable tool of the military intelligence blob. The point of agreement on the Hill Rising between Crystal, a progressive, and Sagar, a conservative, is their populism. The premise of their show is that they agree that populists on both sides of the political aisle should band together to work for the changes that are desperately needed in the United States. My question is, how would Crystal and Sagar feel about Trump's speech that incited a riot if at least most of the accusations in the speech were true and if Trump were an actual populist? As a thought experiment, How would they both feel if Bernie Sanders had decided to incite riots for the purpose of overthrowing the current corrupt oligarchic system? In my mind, this would have made Bernie a true hero. I'm guessing that Crystal, for her part, would have been willing to follow Bernie into the streets if he had protested the rigged primaries and the blatant election fraud and other cheating, not to mention the rigged plutocrat-owned media working against him. I know that I and many others would have roared our approval of such actions. For this to have worked out well, though, Bernie would have needed a supermajority of the U.S. population to agree with him about staging a coup. 
it would have taken this type of consensus of we the people to defeat the Clinton slash Bush slash Obama military industrial Hollywood deep state blob. And if the people lacked the resolve to adequately finish the job, Bernie would have been arrested and imprisoned by our corrupt government, just like Julian Assange, also a true hero, was. Here are some of the accusations that Trump has made that I have yet to hear an adequate rebuttal for. I'm about to start reading from Trump's speech transcript starting at 34 minutes and 6 seconds. In every single swing state, local officials, state officials, almost all Democrats made illegal and unconstitutional changes to election procedures without the mandated approvals by the state legislatures that these changes paved the way for fraud on a scale never seen before. And I think we'd go a long way outside of our country when I say that. So just in a nutshell, you can't make a change on voting for a federal election unless the state legislature approves it. No judge can do it. Nobody can do it, only a legislature. So as an example, in Pennsylvania or whatever, you have a Republican legislature, you have a Democrat mayor, and you have a lot of Democrats all over the place. They go to the legislature, the legislature laughs at them, says, we're not going to do that. They say, thank you very much, and they go and make the changes themselves. They do it anyway, and that's totally illegal. That's totally illegal, you can't do that. In Pennsylvania, the Democrat Secretary of State and the Democrat State Supreme Court Justices illegally abolished the signature verification requirements just 11 days prior to the election. So think of what they did. No longer is there signature verification. Oh, that's okay. We want voter ID, by the way. But no longer is there signature verification. 11 days before the election. They say, we don't want it. You know why they don't want it? Because they want to cheat. That's the only reason. Who would even think of that? We don't want to verify a signature. There were over 205,000 more ballots counted in Pennsylvania. Now this is me breaking in. I'm not sure why we would or wouldn't want to verify a signature, but why would we change what's going on right before the election? What's a good reason to want to do that right before the election? Now get this. There were over 205,000 more ballots counted in Pennsylvania. Now think of this, you had 205,000 more ballots than you had voters. That means you had 200. Where did they come from? You know where they came from. Somebody's imagination, whatever they needed. So in Pennsylvania, you had 205,000 more votes than you had voters. And the number is actually much greater than that now. That was as of a week ago, and this is a mathematical impossibility unless you want to say it's a total fraud. So Pennsylvania was defrauded. Over 8,000 ballots in Pennsylvania were cast by people whose names and dates of birth match individuals who died in 2020 and prior to the election. Think of that. Dead people, lots of dead people, thousands. And some dead people actually requested an application. That bothers me even more. Not only are they voting, they want an application to vote. One of them was 29 years ago dead. It's incredible. Over 14,000 ballots were cast by out-of-state voters. So these are voters that don't live in the state. And by the way, these numbers are what they call outcome determinative, meaning these numbers far surpass, I lost by a very little bit. These numbers are massive, massive. More than 10,000 votes in Pennsylvania were illegally counted even though they were received after election day. In other words, they were received after election day, let's count them anyway. And what they did in many cases is they did fraud. 
They took the date and they moved it back so that it no longer is after election day. And more than 60,000 ballots in Pennsylvania were reported received back. They got back before they were ever supposedly mailed out. In other words, you got the ballot back before you mailed it. They were supposedly mailed out. In other words, you got the ballot back before you mailed it, which is also logically and logistically impossible. Think of that one. You got the ballot back. Let's send the ballots. Oh, they've already been sent, but we got the ballot back before they were sent. I don't think that's too good. 25,000 ballots in Pennsylvania were requested by nursing home residents, all in a single giant batch, not legal, indicating an enormous illegal ballot harvesting operation. You're not allowed to do it. It's against the law. The day before the election, the state of Pennsylvania reported the number of absentee ballots that had been sent out. Yet this number was suddenly and drastically increased by 400,000 people. It was increased. Nobody knows where it came from by 400,000 ballots. One day after the election, it remains totally unexplained. They said, well, we can't figure that. Now that's many, many times what it would take to overthrow the state. Just that one element, 400,000 ballots appeared from nowhere right after the election. By the way, Pennsylvania has now seen all of this. They didn't know because it was so quick. They had a vote, they voted, but now they see all this stuff. It's all come to light. Doesn't happen that fast. And they want to recertify their votes. They want to recertify, but the only way that can happen is if Mike Pence agrees to send it back. So again, I have to ask, has anyone other than the Russia conspiracy mainstream media people offered any proof that what Trump says happened in Pennsylvania, as only one example, is false? If a supermajority of the American people believed, with adequate proof, that the election was fraudulent, would Trump then be guilty of anything worthy of impeachment, or even of having the state-controlled Silicon Valley giants censor his speech? Joe Biden has accused Trump of sedition. Sedition is overt conduct, such as speech and organization, that tends toward rebellion against the established order. Sedition also often includes subversion of a constitution and incitement of discontent toward or rebellion against established authority. As you know, I've previously expressed discontent with our constitution, which was written by a bunch of white slaveholder status quo defenders. They were the oligarchs then, and they wanted to preserve their power. Personally, by that definition, I'd be proud if status quo Joe accused me of sedition. If Trump's accusations, especially if proven definitively true, turned out to be merely a pretext for a larger revolution that ended up being about economic populism, give us our $2,000 checks, instead of being about election fraud, I'd be down for that. As things stand now, way too many of our leftist leaders, including those of socialist alternative, even though they came out in favor of force the vote, seem to think of Trump supporters as the enemy rather than as potential populist allies in the fight. And the fight is to achieve economic justice. Anecdotally, I know many Trump supporters who would have been far more willing to follow someone like Bernie Sanders, also perceived as a populist, into a battle to overthrow the establishment rather than offering support to an establishment figure like Hillary Clinton or status quo Joe Biden. Ultimately, a revolution behind a future populist like a younger Bernie Sanders, someone with the stomach for actual disobedience though, will only work if populists from both sides of the political divide unite and rise together. Now, after having delivered that spiel for my teleprompter, I would turn to Sagar and Crystal and say, what do y'all think? Maybe if they invite me on their show, we could have that discussion.
Just saying.